Okay, guys, we're back now to uh, Romans uh, 13. And we're going to finish up Romans 13 tonight, kind of. Um, I'll explain myself in a minute. But go to verse 12, and let me read you these last three verses of Romans 13, and I'll tell you what, what I mean by kind of. Paul says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, guys, um, that text may not move you, but you may not, you probably don't know this, but this is a very famous text. I, I mean that. It's a very famous text because it is, it is called St. Augustine's text. Did you ever heard that? Um, if you don't know who St. Augustine is, he's probably, other than the Apostle Paul, the finest mind that the Christian church has ever enjoyed. Uh, his most famous work is this one, The City of God, um, by Augustine. He was a fourth century monk, well, bishop, I guess, in northern Africa. Um, but he, he's written several things. Maybe you've heard of The Confessions. The Confessions is just a book that he wrote, which is basically his testimony. Um, but the text that was used by God to lead St. Augustine to himself. By the way, everyone in here tonight is Augustinian. You are Augustinian whether you know it or not. But the, um, the text that God used to lead St. Augustine to himself is this one. You've heard of um, uh, Martin Luther's text, which was Romans 117. Well, this is St. Augustine's text. Uh, verses 12, 13, and 14 of, um, of Romans 13. Now, um, what we're going to do tonight is that I'm going to, I'm going to try to work through these three verses and finish that up. But, you know, next week we don't meet because of Thanksgiving. Then the next week we have a congregational meeting where you're going to select four men from a list of ten, ten nominees. You're going to select four of those, uh, to be elders in this church. And so after the vote's taken, which, you know, is very, very brief. I mean, it doesn't take five minutes to get all the votes in. But counting them is a different story. And by the way, we'll have a kind of a, an interesting little curveball to throw you in terms of the counting next uh, two weeks from tonight. But guys, uh, while they are counting, what I'm going to do is that I want to tell you the story. It's a little historical vignette about Augustine and how God used this text to, um, to draw him to himself. And I think you'll find it very exciting. Uh, not, not exciting, but interesting at least. It's, it's, it's history. It's a history of a, of a, a man that's God used mightily. And, and by the way, if you've never read this and you are a reader, you ought to take this on. Uh, this is, this is some good stuff. Now it, it's, it's not easy. Um, because, and you have to plow through some stuff, but, and you're not going to understand. I mean, I probably understood 30% of it. But the 30% I understood was very profitable. Now, that's what I mean by we're going to finish up the text, kind of. We're going to come back to it two weeks from tonight and just talk about the influence that this text had in the life of St. Augustine um, and how it was used to convert it. Now, it is also famous for another reason, the, this, this little three 
verse, paragraph. It's famous because it contains perhaps the greatest piece of counseling ever. Ever. Now, guys, I am not a real fan of counseling. Now, there are some professionals that do a good job. And, um, and, and I, I think some of those can really play a wonderful role. It, it, but, but pastors, we pastors, I don't know of any of us that are good counselors. We're not, we're not trained to be good counselors. You know, have you a course or two here and there? Um, and they try to, you know, thrust you out on the church so that you won't hurt people. Um, I'm not sure that's worked with me, but, um, um, you know, we're, we're way over our heads most of the time when it comes to counseling. Way over our heads. Now, some of the professionals are not. And, and those are gifted people and, and useful. But in the main, Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say this. The best counseling comes from the explanation and proclamation of God's truth. I would say to most of you, you don't need counseling. What you need is more exposure to God's word and what it says about all the little complexities that you and I face. I'm saying to you, you're going you're gonna to get a little bit of that tonight, but the best piece of counseling input ever is in this text. So, that'll keep you awake until at least we close. So, um, this is a famous text because it's Augustine's and it also includes the best piece of counseling insight and input ever. But I want to say at the same time, this text also causes scholars great heartburn. Um, look at verse 12. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us put off the works of darkness and put uh, on the armor of light. That statement about the day is at hand, that drives people crazy, that commentarians crazy. Because what is Paul saying? Does Paul expect an imminent return of Jesus Christ? Now, guys, that's what that seems to suggest. But apparently that's not what Paul meant. Because in other places where he wrote, like in 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 1 through 12, I can't read all that. But what he's saying is that there's all these things that's going to happen about um, um, the coming of our Lord Jesus concerning. And he talks about all this stuff that's going to happen. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan and the wicked deception, therefore. And he talks about being alert and vigilant and all that business. So apparently he recognizes that there's a lot of stuff that has not yet transpired um, before the coming of Christ. Peter does the same thing. Peter, on one occasion in 1 Peter 4, says, the end of all things is at hand. But then that same Peter, in another place, in 2 Peter chapter 3, says that uh, a day is as a thousand years. So guys, what I want to try to do is just give you a little bit of hopeful explanation as to why Paul would make a statement like that, that the day is at hand. Um, in a very real sense, guys, in terms of redemptive history, um, it is, it is true. Oh, it's working. Okay, guys, 
when I use the term redemptive history, does that, does that, does that confuse you? Redemption is something that has unfolded over a succession of moments. Redemption has unfolded across history. <clears throat> there are some highlights <clears throat> in redemptive history. Like the covenant with Abraham. That's a highlight. Or the, um, the coming out of Egypt. That's a big deal. Them entering the land. Oh, huge thing. Uh, the theocracy. But all of this, ladies and gentlemen, is progress in redemptive history. The theocracy under David and Solomon. After that, the most significant piece of redemptive history was the coming of Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, etc., etc. After that was Pentecost. Those are huge events in the course of redemptive history. Now, guys, between this last one of Pentecost and the last one, which is the second coming, there's nothing else to expect. So in light of redemptive history, this is near. Because there's nothing else scheduled in terms of the unfolding. The last event prior to this event has already occurred. And thus Paul could say something like, the day is at hand. In terms of a, a redemptive history perspective, yeah. The day is at hand because there's nothing else going to happen in here. That's where we're living right now. And the next thing that's going to happen is the return of Christ. The other thing that might help you um, deal with your heartburn over Paul saying the day is at hand is that it, it's, a, it's somewhat of a prophetic nearness that he's describing. That is, that he's speaking as a prophet, guys. Um, not as one who is trying to give you some kind of chronological measurement. He's speaking in a lot of ways like Peter spoke when he said, a day in the sight of the Lord is as a thousand years. Now, if that is so, then the coming of Christ may be day after tomorrow. You see that? That's, a, that's the way a prophet speaks. That's a prophetic... Um, uh, prediction about something that's going to happen down there. But he sees that there is nothing else scheduled, and then he speaks of it as being the day is at hand. The day, in essence, is near. And speaking as a prophet, indeed, it's, a, it's an understandable and a legitimate statement. So hopefully that will... Explain how Paul is using that language. Now, there's some more language that I want to show you in here about um, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us get the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Do you see that metaphor in there? Um, night, darkness, day, light. I want to show you something that is, I think I've showed you this before, but it's in uh, John chapter 13, if you can find that really fast. John chapter 13 is the account of the Last Supper. And Jesus uh, identifies that he's about to be betrayed. And everybody says, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? And they finally get it down to the fact that that um, 
uh, it's Judas. And um, this is in uh, John 13, and it says, um, verse 29, Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give some something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, that is to identify Judas as the betrayer, he, that is Judas, immediately went out. And notice what the text says next. And it was night. <laughs> what is the Bible doing with you? Is it trying to tell, me, to tell you that it was dark outside? No. The whole idea of night, darkness, evil, sin. That is, that is a, it's, it's a device. It's a literary device. Because the idea of darkness and night communicates evil. You know, for instance, guys, there are some some streets in the city of Memphis that you will walk down in the daytime. But those same streets, you will not walk down at nighttime. Why? Because associated with night, associated with darkness, is, is evil, is wickedness. Because night conceals and light reveals. Guys, in Colossians 1, there's this language, and it's all through the New Testament. The language is, you have been transferred out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. And it doesn't have anything to do with the candle power of the of the of the room it has to do with light in the scriptures and day in the scriptures has to do with with righteousness and when the when the scriptures talk about darkness and that's when that's the that's the way that Paul is using this language in 13 the night is far gone he's not trying to tell you what time it is he's trying to depict the advance of wickedness the advance of evil um the day is at hand so then let us cast off works of darkness, you know, wicked stuff, and put on the armor of light because light is something that's good, darkness is bad. That's the way he's using this language here. Then um, you, you come to verse 13. He gives you some specific examples of darkness. He says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. Basically, what he does is he gives you he gives you three couplets: um, orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, and quarreling and jealousy. He gives you three categories of drunkenness, sexuality, or sexual sin, and disunity. Now, I, I know guys that that the word orgy means something different in our day. The, the the staff has pointed that out to me, but that's not the way that Paul's using it. Paul is simply using the term as a drunken brawl. Um, those things are marks of darkness, guys. And, and I'll tell you, you know, when you look at this culture in which we find ourselves, the kind of sexual permissiveness that is rampant, it is, it is a commentary on the, on the far advance of darkness. Um, it, the, the, the kind of sexual perversity that is all around us is just a commentary on your culture, ladies and gentlemen. That's not a that's not a a, um, a stroke of our our liberation. It's a condemnation of our whole way of living. You know, um, I'm not a fan of Muslims. 
as you will know more in the in the winter. But one of the reasons that Muslims hate this culture of ours so badly is because we export filth. You know what? I don't blame them for hating that. They don't want anything to do with us because we export filth over and and they're trying to get it stopped on the internet and all that. You can't even get it stopped. And so they just say, well, the only other option is just to kill them. And I don't mean that, but uh, that is an option. But guys, our our perversity is just a commentary on the on the on the fact that it is night. It is night. The night is far advanced in the culture in which we find ourselves. And then in verse 14, he tells us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, that's that's language that he uses frequently. He uses it in Ephesians 4 about putting off the old man and putting on the new. It, it signifies one's or our union with Christ. Gang, the fact that we are in union with Christ, which is such a precious part of our, our standing, um, what that does is it demands that because we are in union with Christ, that it, it creates and demands a, a, a need for a pursuit of holiness. And that's what I think you find in these little three verses. This plea on the part of the Apostle Paul for us to be... Um, engaged in this pursuit of holy living. We put on Christ and um, and get about the pursuit of holy living. Guys, which brings me to the thing that I, I, I really want to spend some time on uh, in saying, I told you that this text contains the finest piece of counseling insight and input uh, ever. And it does. I want to show it to you and then kind of spend some time on it. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and here it is, and make no provision for the flesh. Guys, um, have you ever seen that? I mean, if you have not seen this, I I think probably everyone in this room has seen it, but if you've not seen this YouTube with Bob Newhart and his counseling, his approach to counseling, have you ever, I mean, how many of you have seen it? It is absolutely hilarious. It's just hilarious. You remember Bob Newhart and the Bob Newhart show, and he was just one of my all-time favorites. But if you haven't seen it, all you got to do is go Google it. It's I, I did it earlier today because I had seen it in the past. Um, it is it's six minutes, and it's hilarious. But Bob Newhart is a counselor, and um, he's in his office and he's washing his hands. And this lady walks in. Her name happens to be Catherine, and his name is Doctor Switzer. And she says, "Hello, Doctor Switzer. I'm here for a, my counseling appointment." And and uh, so he says, well, fine, yeah, sit down. And um, and he explains his rates. <laughs> he says, my, my, my fees are $5 for the first five minutes. <laughs> and then after that, I charge nothing. And she is just thrilled. Well, that sounds very reasonable. I mean, $5 for five minutes? And he says, well, don't get too happy because normally none of my counseling sessions last five minutes. And, um, and so she, this woman has this overwhelming phobia of being buried in a box. And so she, I mean, she's a, she's a wonderful actress and she, she talks about her great, you know, how it controls her life and, and, um, and, and what, what, what she should do about, I mean, she just can't, she says she can't go into elevators, she can't go into houses, anything that looks like a box. 
And it's, you know, so he's sitting over there and listening to her. And so finally, she's told him all that she's going to tell him. And, and, and he says, well, I've got two words for you and I want you to write them down because they have absolutely changed people's lives. And, um, so she digs around in her purse and she pulls out this pad and this pencil and, and, um, and he says, now, she says, are you ready? And she, she says, yes. And so he just jumps across the debts and he says, stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. And she says, and, you know, she's taken aback and she says, well, she says, what, what are you saying? And he says, listen, lady, I'm not speaking in Yiddish. I said, stop it. Just, she says, but, but, but wait a minute, I, uh, uh, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I, I have self-destructive relationships with men. And he says, stop it. And uh, she says, well, but I, I, I wash my hands a lot. And he says, stop it. And she says, well, but, but um, you know, I'm bulimic and I stick my hands down my throat. He says, stop it. <laughs> and so she says, well, I don't like this. And she says, he says, well, okay, well, tell me more. And so he, she starts talking and he says, okay, well, then I've got 10 words for you that I want you to use. Oh, oh, he, he's finished in three and a half minutes. And he says, I'll give you a discount. I'll just charge you $3. And she says, well, I want my whole five minutes. And he says, well, okay. So he talks some more. She talks some more. And he says, okay, I got 10 words for you. 10 words for you that, that will hopefully, um, <laughs> will hopefully help. And she says, and he says, you need to take notes on this. So she takes out her pad again and he says, stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. <laughs> it's just, it's just, a, but ladies and gentlemen, I, I tell you that story because in a lot of ways, the counsel, the approach to counseling that Paul takes in Romans chapter 13 is simply that make no provision for the flesh. Did you hear me? I'm not speaking Yiddish. Make no provision for the flesh. You having any trouble with sin, are you? Make no provision for the flesh. So you've, um, you've got a problem with lust, do you gentlemen? Then cancel your subscription to Playboy magazine. Make no provision for the flesh. Huh? So you, um, you can't control your credit card spending, huh? Well then don't be flipping through better homes and gardens. Make no provision for the flesh. Oh, I, I understand. Your, 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 your issue is materialism. I mean, you just, you just keep buying and buying and buying. Well, stop reading Ford's magazine. Make no provision for the flesh. You know, guys, um, so you got a drinking problem, do you? Got a little, you know, hitting the bottle a little bit too much. And you, um, you work here. And you live over here. And there's a liquor store over here. Um, so, when you get off work, this is the way that you go home. You go from work... Pass the liquor store over to your house. Do you know what you've done? You made provision for the flesh. You gotta change that. You don't go that way anymore. You go like that. It's the most sensible, the most practical, the simplest, 
You don't need a degree and you don't have to pay me a hundred dollars an hour for that. Paul simply says, do not make provisions for your flesh. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the messes that we get ourselves in are self-inflicted, self-inflicted. Because what we do is that we disobey that, that principle. We provide for the flesh. You know, guys, I know that you're going to find this difficult to believe. But I have probably fought my weight for 30, since, since we've been married. I was a little bit skinnier then. Um, I used, I started running right when we got married because I was trying to keep my weight down. And of course, you know, over 40 years of marriage, it begins to creep up. And you know, at about age 45, it just, I, I lost control. But you know, <clears throat> I can tell you this. If I simp- if I didn't have any desserts in the house, guess what? I wouldn't eat one. Is that not remarkably insightful on my part? But if there's a dessert in the house, I probably will eat it. So, if I'm really serious about taking off pounds, then I can just clean out the house of all sweets. Now, is that rocket science? I'm telling you, it's almost the same thing as Bob Newhart saying, stop it. But the reason that you don't have more victory is because you keep making provisions for the flesh. And we wonder... Why we're having so much problem. Because I keep going home that way week after week after week. And I keep struggling. I keep falling when it comes to my alcohol problem. I wonder how that is. Ladies and gentlemen, you come to my office and I'm playing Bob Newhart with you. All you got to do is change the way you go home. That ain't rocket science. But it is the key portion of this pursuit of holy living, ladies and gentlemen. Make no provision for the flesh. And you better be honest with yourself, ladies and gentlemen. If you keep making provision, do you know what the real issue is? You love your sin. Aren't I brilliant? I mean, that is, I'm going to leave the pastorate and become a counselor. Guys, it's the greatest piece of counseling insight to be found ever. Make no provision for the flesh. Now, you keep buying those magazines and you keep flipping through Better Homes and Gardens and you're going to keep abusing that credit card and you're going to keep wondering if I can have another shiny one of those and you're going to keep lusting after women and finding internet sites because you made provision for the flesh. You know, guys, uh, years ago, 
Is Jeff Simons in here? Yeah, okay. Jeff will know this story. Jeff, we've got to keep it between ourselves, okay? Um, years ago, well, we, um, we used to play basketball together, and if you might, you might realize that Jeff was quite a basketball star. Now, um, um, uh, y- you know, I mean, he wasn't quite as good as he says he was, but, but he, he, was, he was quite a star. Anyway, and he could certainly outplay the rest of us. But anyway, we used to play basketball every Friday afternoon. And uh, it was a good game, and we had a good gym, and we were, were, I mean, it was a a hard and tumble. And I wasn't any good at basketball at all, but I I wanted to work out. I love to sweat. I really don't mind sweating. I don't mind the heat. I I like to sweat. I feel healthy when I sweat. Um, But invariably, invariably, there was a guy that played with us every Friday. (laughs) Jeff knows. Um, And there would be some kind of fight. And this is a bunch of church go- church folk. And and by the way, I wasn't the one getting in the fights. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. I, 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 you know, I'm a lover, not a fighter. But um, I mean, there was a fight every Friday. I mean, ugliness, shoving, and you know. And I thought, wait a minute. You know, I got a little problem here myself. My problem is I don't want to sin, but I'm telling you, every every time I come out here. I find myself enraged, getting caught up into this thing, and I find myself doing stuff that I regret once I get, you know, go to the showers. So, I had this incredible theological insight. I mean, it took me years to peer through the great mysteries of God to come up to this conclusion. I can't play basketball out there on Friday anymore. And I stopped. You know what? I wasn't getting angry at 12.30 on Fridays anymore. But if you keep going out there, you're going to keep making provisions for the flesh, and then you're going to weep and wail. Because, oh, dang, I did it again. Here it is. It's a simple, concise formula for avoiding sin. Make no provision for your flesh. Now tell me, ladies and gentlemen, what stuff do you have in your house right now that makes it easier for you to sin? Then don't blame the church. Don't blame your grace group. Don't blame your rocky marriage. Uh-uh. It's that you decided to go out and make a provision for your flesh. Do you get that? I mean, isn't that, isn't that insightful on my part? Guys, we don't need to wander around in the hidden child of the past. I got a book in my, in my library right now called The Hidden Child of the Past. 
you know, you had all these scarring um, experiences as a child. I mean, you weren't potty trained on time and, and the kids would, you know, bullied you and, and, you know, and so, and we sit in the office and I, we, the clock just continues to roll and the charges just keep going up and another $125 and while we wander around all those hidden dark, you don't need any of that. I'm setting you free. Make no provisions for the flesh. Any questions? Is that difficult? It doesn't take a seminary degree to understand it. So, where have you done that? Go correct it. You can correct it tonight. You can pour the alcohol out, you can cut the credit cards up, and you can cancel the subscription. Pretty easy. And you can change your path home. And I could probably get my desserts out of my house, but that ain't going to happen. <laughs> so I, I'm going to be a beach ball before tomorrow. You know. Yes, you, you see. I mean, it's a most of the most of the pain. Nah, I shouldn't say most, but some of the pain that we deal with is self-inflicted. We did it. I still got another minute, according to my... Okay, I'll close. <laughs> are, they, are they complaining out there? Oh, he's going too long. All right, guys, there it is. Feast on it. It's a, it's a, it's a counseling bonanza. Let's quit. Our Father, um, forgive us that we... That we, um, that we complain about our problems with sin when the, the issue is not your faithfulness. It's not, it's not, um, you deserted us. It's that we made provisions for the flesh. And, um, the longer we do, the more, um, pain we endure. So Lord, would you uh, would you show us the great beauty of the simplicity of your word and um, making no provision for the flesh so that we end up gratifying its desires? Because, Lord, every person in this room has some pretty out-of-control desires. Um, we are all one drink away from alcoholism. We're just one... We're one racy movie, sex-saturated movie away from an affair. We're just one shopping spree away from financial disaster. So would you, um, would you show us, oh God, that the, uh, the, the solution is, is not that hard to come by? And, um, put us to work on just those things that we've made available so that our flesh could be gratified. Forgive us that what, what so rules us is the appetites of our flesh. Now, Father, dismiss us with a sense of great encouragement that whatever it is that troubles us, can be dealt with in the power of the Spirit, 
in obedience to your word. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.